Lord, would you, would you just work your way in every one of us like you're working in Joel? And would you, through our community, through the message, through our church, through the body of Christ in Austin, would you reach more and more people who are just trying to numb their minds with drinking or with drugs or with sex or with work or with whatever it is, trying to just get some peace. Father, you're the only one who can provide it. And so, Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to this idea, to finding peace for people by sharing you with them. Lord, give us courage, give us boldness, give us faith to believe that you really are alive. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. As you know, we've been on a series this last few weeks called What's in Your Wallet? And uh, first week we talked about your identity, uh, your ID that you carry in your wallet and how much that, how important that is to the way you deal with money. Uh, we talked about cash the next week. We talked about um, what it is, how it works. We talked about tithing. We talked about uh, giving. The, ne- the next week we talked about credit cards. We found credit cards in our wallets and... Um, talked about debt and how the Bible views debt and how we can be good stewards uh, of what God has given us and how we need to be givers and savers instead of debtors and spenders. And uh, and so this week, um, if we look in our wallet one more time and find out what's in there, uh, we'll probably, many people still carry pictures in their wallet, Uh, little pictures of their loved ones little pictures of uh, what's important. You know, the, we, carry, we carry pictures in our wallet because these people are important to us. Here's a picture that I carried in my wallet for a long time. It's of my beautiful bride. I think they have a picture of her right up here. Look at that baby. Whew. Hot. This is her in college. This is when I met her. And uh, I carried that around in my wallet for a long time. And, and, uh, and it's, it is funny what... When we, when we think about people's pictures in our wallets, it's often of our families. And so we started thinking about family pictures, and there are some weird family pictures, people. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've looked on the Internet. There's, there's family pictures kind of everywhere. There's an entire website, actually, called Awkward Family Pictures. <laughs> this guy, <laughs> his family's all up in his head. <laughs> Go to the next one. What? What? What is that? That doesn't. That doesn't make any sense. It's just so awkward. Okay, keep going. Um, whoa. I got one word. Groovy. That is. That is groovy. Look at this guy. Okay, I don't know if you can see this, but you you would not believe it. He's got his family's faces tattooed on his back. It's weird. It's just weird. At first, I thought it was back hair, and then I realized it's their faces. All right, keep going to the next one. Um, yeah, this is a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. Look at the two guys down on the, two guys in the motorcycle jackets, rock and roll down there. Keep going. Yeah, uh, that just feels creepy to me. <laughs> Doesn't it? It's like, it's like she's so big and they're so small. <laughs> giant baby. 
that's just wrong on so many levels. I, I, don't, I don't even know where to go there. Um, you know, cats are just so terrible. I mean, cats, yeah, they, yeah, I won't continue. Oh, my. I mean, that is just like serial killers. I don't know what, what this is. Or they just were surprised. Here's a, this is like an awkward picture. See, first is the top of his head. Then she's really happy and the baby's just screaming. It's, it's really funny. Oh, yeah. That's me <clears throat> up on the top. That's uh, my other brother, Brad. And this is... Brent Parsley right down here on the bottom. Look at that. Is that awesome or what? <laughs> Look at here we are in all of our glory. Yeah, we were cool. Brent wasn't yet, but he became cool later. <laughs> our, <laughs> our family pictures, you know, when you carry them around in our wallet, they, they demonstrate a certain priority. So today we're going to talk about priorities. We're going to talk about how to make priorities out of your money and how to spend your money well and how to how, really how to budget. We're going to talk about how important this is and we're going to look at it from the scriptures. Um, you know, nobody gets to the end of their life and they're on their deathbed and, and, and they, they lay there and they say, man, I wish I would have spent more time at the office, right? They, they don't. What do they always say? I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. Wish I would have spent more time just with my family. I wish I would have relaxed a little bit. I wish I wouldn't have tried so hard to accomplish and I would have enjoyed my family. Talking about priorities. Talking about how to spend our time and our money. And um, I was reading some, some ideas about different people and what they said about money. Here's what the wealthy think about money. Check these out. Wealthy people think about money. John W. Rockefeller. He said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. I mean, I'd like to try it, but there is no pleasure in it, he said. I am the most miserable man on earth, John Jacob Astor said. Um, Henry Ford said, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. Millionaires seldom smile, Andrew Carnegie said. Money can overcome us and we get consumed by it. And uh, we begin to ruin our priorities in our life. Um, someone asked Willie Sutton, the notorious bank robber, why he robbed so many banks. Because, replied Sutton, that's where the money is. <laughs> One housewife said, whoever says money can't buy happiness doesn't know where to shop. No, you can't just, we can't just go to where the money is. We can't just be consumed with money and with our careers. I have a really interesting thing here that I want to read to you, and um, I thought it was fascinating. In 1928, a group of the world's most successful financiers met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. 
And the following people were president, the president, present, the president of the largest utility company, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, the greatest bear in Wall Street, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, the head of the world's greatest monopoly. Collectively, these tycoons controlled more wealth than there was in the U.S. Treasury. And for years, newspapers and magazines had been printing their success stories and urging the youth of the nation to follow their examples. 25 years later, this is what had happened to these men. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and died broke. Isn't that crazy? Charles Schwab, the, the investor. The, great, the greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cutton died abroad insolvent. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, served a term in Sing Sing prison. The member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. The greatest bear in Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, committed suicide. President of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Fraser, committed suicide. The head of the world's greatest monopoly, Ivar Druger, committed suicide. All of these men had learned how to make money, but not one of them had learned how to really live. Here's what I want to tell you. Core decisions make our lives simple. Core decisions, fundamental convictions, core decisions make our lives simple. Simple. If you've decided you're not going to lie and steal and cheat, then every time a an opportunity comes by for you to lie or to steal or cheat, it, it's not a temptation because you've already settled that issue. The core decision has been made. I'm going to live honorable. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to cheat. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I don't have to make those decisions. You know, sometimes we have decision fatigue in our culture because there are so many options for everything all the time. But if you'll just, if you and I will make core decisions in our life about how we're going to spend our money, everything else, we, we begin to determine the priorities for our life. Everything else begins to line up. And here's why. Because the order is important. The order of our lives is important. The order of the way we spend money, the order of how we spend our time is important. This is a, this is a large concept. Here's why order is important. Number one, order determines capacity. Order determines our capacity. What does Matthew 6, says? It says, seek first the kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, it says, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. I often think after reading this scripture that many of us, we have so much in our hands. We hold so many things. We're so busy consuming things that we, our hands are so full, God can't give us what we actually need. We have to let go. We have to we have to seek his kingdom above all else and empty our hands. Have you ever cleaned out your garage? <laughs> me, me, and, me and my kids, we, we clean out our garage every spring and fall and, 
And it's all, I don't know how it gets so dirty. I don't know how it gets so messy. It just, it's such a mess. And so you take, you, we take everything out of the garage, all the bikes and all the, the tools and all, everything that's been laid in there over the winter or, or even over the summer. And, and you clean it all out and you put it out on your front lawn, right? And people come by and they go, are you selling any of it? And you're like, no, this is my stuff, <laughs> And so you, you, you take it out, you clean out the garage, you spray it out, you wipe, wipe it out, you sweep it out, and then you begin to put everything back. And you begin to put it in order, and suddenly you have all this room. You hang the bikes on the cooks that you in, in, intended to keep them on. You, you put things in the shelves. You, you create order, and order determines capacity. If you want God to give you more, you need to have order. You need to have an order in your life. Number two, order communicates priority. Order communicates priority. Whatever you do first with your time or your money or your relationships, your commitments, this communicates to both God and others what you think is most important. Revelation 2, two through 4 says, this is John and he's writing to the churches. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Order communicates priority. Many, many times over the four years of planting this church and and then pastoring it, moving to the next season of our lives has been challenging to me in what I should prioritize. I'm sure you feel the same way about your job, about your family, about your kids. It is important for us to prioritize. Number three, order impacts the rest. Order impacts everything else. Proverbs 3, 6 through 10 talks about this. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And then verse 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Whatever you do first has supernatural power to influence the rest. This is how the Bible indicates it. Whatever you decide you're going to do first. This is why tithing is a practice within the scriptures to help you understand how your life should be ordered. It's, it's why you, you decide you're going to, you're going to marry a, a person and then you're going to give them your time first. There's something about them that gives them priority. And when you do that, something happens in your marriage. You're, 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 everything begins to be blessed there's something supernatural about what you decide comes first. I don't know if you've ever been a fan of the American Wild West, but I've been to Deadwood, South Dakota, and there's a museum there. And, um, and there's an inscription by a beleaguered prospector, and he says, it says, I lost my gun, I lost my horse, I'm out of food, the Indians are after me, but I've got all the gold I can carry. It's, that's a problem. I feel, I feel like we live like that sometimes. All these terrible things are happening and we're making money. It's because we don't know how to prioritize. We don't know how to budget. Why don't we do it? 
we do it because we're going off in all kinds of directions. We're doing it because we're so busy. We're so consumed. We're just going here and there. Proverbs 17, 24 says, An intelligent person aims at wise action, but a fool starts off in many directions. <laughs> Here's the thing. The distance between the truth you know and the truth you live equals the pain you experience. It's a good little phrase, isn't it? The distance between the truth you know and the truth you live equals the pain that you experience. And that, that, little, that little space right there between what you live and what you know causes so much frustration, causes so much angst. You know, the Bible is not, the Bible is not something we uh, use to tell us just how to keep God from being mad at us. Okay, the Bible is a story of God's interaction with humanity, and what it does is coach us on how to live a life that is free of frustration and fear and worry and anxiety. It coaches us. It teaches us how to live this way. It teaches us that we are not alone, that he's not just trying to get us to do something he wants us to do, that he's actually made provision for us through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through the scriptures to teach us how to live. And so we, we claim one thing, but we live another. And I want to challenge you to clean that up in regards to your money because budgeting and priorities is so important. So we're going to look at three ideas on how to do this. So I want you to write, I didn't write it in your notes, but how to budget your priorities, how to budget your money. I want you to just write that in there. How to budget priorities and money. How to budget priorities and money. Here's the number. Number one is discover your values. Discover your values. If you want to turn over to Luke chapter, um, Luke chapter 16 in your Bible, we're going to read a story here of the parable of the shrewd manager. And I'm, going to, I'm just going to read you the story and I want you to listen to it. He says, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. All right, so he's, he's accused, he's being accused of wasting his master's possessions. And so he called him and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. It's over for you. You're not going to manage my money anymore. You're not going to manage my accounts. Verse 3 says, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of their master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. So he's cutting them in half. The manager told him, take your bills, oh, uh, verse 7, then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. So he cuts it down by 20%. Verse 8 says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. But I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true 
riches. True riches. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you, your, your, uh, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now this story can be quite confusing. And, and Bible scholars have a couple of ideas about this. And so one of them is that, you know, this Jesus is using the story of the dishonest manager and, and he's talking about how he interacted with these people in, in, in a dishonest way, but he, was, but he was looking to the future, all right? There's a second idea that I subscribe to. And I, I, think, I think what we're, we have to know the backstory of how this kind of thing worked in Jesus' day. Most likely, the part he was cutting out was his own commission. Most likely, the part he was cutting out and lowering the, the, the accounts to this number was not stealing from the, stealing from the, man, from the master, but the manager wasn't handling his accounts well. He wasn't taking care of it. And so he, he, he cut out his own commission to curry favor with people because he knew he was getting fired. And Jesus' point is, Jesus' point is, he was looking ahead to what was coming rather than being consumed with what was happening right now. And as we look at being managers of what God has given us, what Jesus is trying to say is you can't serve money and God. You can't, you can't, you got to choose one. And one, you got to look ahead and say, okay, I'm going to live for eternal things, not for present things. And, and Jesus is saying here in the story, he says, man, the Children of darkness are much more shrewd than the children of night. We need, to, we need to be shrewd in this same way. We need to make sure we're capitalizing on every opportunity to store up treasures in heaven. That's, that's kind of what he's saying. He's saying use your money. He's saying use worldly wealth in such a way that when you enter eternal dwellings, there will be people there because of how you use your wealth. So the question for us is, are we owners? Do we see ourselves as owners or managers? Do we own everything or do we see God as owning it and we're just managing and stewarding it? That has profound implications on how you treat your money. One says it's mine and the other says I got to take care of this because there's going to be an account taken. How do we spend our money? selfishly or generously these are values that we must embrace we must decide who we are as God's people in order to budget correctly in order to set priorities are we consumed with the present or are we focused on the future so we want to use resources God gives us wisely and generously so here's what it is worldly wealth is a trust Worldly wealth is a trust. You can fill that in in your, in your message notes. It's a trust. It, the question is, can God trust you and me? <laughs> Often we talk about how we need to trust him, but it turns. We trust him, and then he wants to trust us. But both directions are important. Worldly wealth is a tool. How will we use it? How are we going to use this tool? 
Will we use it to invest? Will we use it to wisely? Will we use it to serve others? The worldly wealth is a test. It's a test. The, th the thing about these three ideas, it's a trust between you and God because you're a steward. It's a tool because it really has no more, it, it's, it's no more valuable than a tool to make something else happen. Money is simply a, a method of how to exchange something. It's conversion. It converts into something else. You spend your time, the sweat of your brow, and you receive this money instead. But the money's not really that valuable. The money just represents something you can convert to something else. A car, a home, a college education, which... I'm facing with my oldest children, <laughs> wishing I would put more away earlier. We get so consumed with money, but it's just a tool. Worldly wealth is a test. The greatest test of our hearts is what we do with our treasure. The greatest test of our hearts is what we do with our treasure. Number two, determine what is most important to you. You've got to set some values about who you are, and you've got to determine what is most important. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. And no purpose, if you don't have a purpose in front of you, then people flounder. With no plan, everybody say plan. If you don't have a plan, people lack discipline. The NIV says where there is no revelation that people cast off restraint. So you've got to ask yourself, what's my life mission? What, what is my life, life's mission? What is my purpose? In order to understand what is most important, you've got to ask this question. What is my purpose? I don't think anybody can understand their purpose unless they understand the story of the Bible. If you don't know your purpose, you'll end up frustrated. Paul, the apostle, talked about this several times throughout his writings. Here's one illustration of this in the book of Acts where it was articulating something that he had said. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Huh. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race. This is my purpose. You know, his purpose had to take him through many, many sufferings. There's nobody who suffered more in the scriptures, maybe in terms of over and over suffering without death. <laughs> he was beaten, shipwrecked, flogged constantly on the run. Paul's sufferings were not defining for his life. Why? They weren't defining for him. Why? Because he understood his purpose. He could, he could deal with his sufferings because he knew there was a greater purpose. The happiest people I know are not the people who, have, who don't have any problems. We see this a lot in first world versus third world, you know, mentality. The happiest people I know are not the people who don't have any problems. The happiest people are the people with problems who know their purpose and they have a different focus. They make it through. Ephesians 5.17 
15 through 17 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. If I love this, I, I love Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 in the Phillips. You can read it with me there in your message note. It says, live life then with a due sense of responsibility, not as men who do not know the meaning and purpose of life, but as those who do. Make the best use of your time, despite all the difficulties of these days. Don't be vague, but firmly grasp what you know to be the will of God. Do you know what my purpose as a pastor here is? My purpose is to help you find your purpose. That's all I do. I meet with people and I help them discover their purpose. I teach from the scriptures and I help people understand what they're called to do and to be. My, our purpose together as a church is to help people in our city discover their purpose. If you're lost in your purpose, I want to challenge you to give, give me a year. Do what I'm asking you to do. Serve on a team. Get involved in a connect group. Do something significant with your life here in this place. I guarantee you, after a year of going through and being connected, being integrated into the life of our church, you will understand in a greater way your purpose. So I'm running out of time here. Verse, or number three is uh, develop a plan. Develop a plan. Seems simple enough. <laughs> Seems very hard to implement. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You're going to have to slow down if you're going to make a plan. You're going to have to slow everything down and you have to be more intentional. You can't just hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth, check to check, check to check. You got you to slow down and create a plan. Proverbs 16, 3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. If you have no plan, it is highly likely, now check this out, if you have no plan, it is highly likely you will not exercise good stewardship because you're just going so many directions. It is highly likely that if you don't have a plan, you'll have marital discord in the area of finances. You'll fight with each other over it because you don't have a plan. You don't have a place of agreement. You will not be able to teach your children to have grateful hearts if you don't have a plan. They probably won't learn good stewardship either. You will, not, um, you will tend to be late in paying bills or fudging on your income taxes. Temptations are powerful in the absence of conviction. Temptations become really powerful in the absence of conviction, of a plan, of a purpose. Number five, you, you can gain a poor reputation and damage your Christian witness if you don't have a plan. You'll end up looking just like everybody else. Money's a very powerful thing. Even though it's just a tool, it, it has this power to it. Either you control your money or it will control you. A budget is nothing more than a foundational tool in money management. A budget is nothing more than a written spending plan. This is my purpose. These are my values. This is how I'm going to spend my money. Listen, there's no true freedom without limits. There's no true freedom without limits. 
We think, we, we think that true freedom is just spending on whatever we see, whatever we walk through the mall and tend to love. Oh, I love this sweater. Ooh, I love this bike. Oh, I love th- these shoes. I got to get three kinds of shoes, black, brown, and blue. We, we, tend to, we tend to just spend like this, like whatever we see, but true freedom comes not from spending on whatever you want. Freedom comes from giving and saving and investing enough that you're never stressed out about money. You're never stressed about it you're, so that every decision becomes clear, simple, ultimately empowering to be generous at every opportunity. You want to be a generous person? You've got to plan for it. You, gotta be, you, wanna, you wanna capitalize on every opportunity that God puts in front of you, you gotta be willing to plan for it. So here's some ideas. Budgets, budgeting your resources does the following. It informs, you know exactly where you are. It avoids waste, you become a better steward of every single dollar. Produces freedom and confidence. You're not worried and stressed all the time. It keeps a check on your values and priorities. You stay accountable to what's really important. And it leads to financial freedom. You're free to be generous. Take advantage of every, every opportunity. There's only three more fill in the blanks. I'll just give them to you. You've got to have short range and long range planning. You've got you to gotta see what's right in front of you, and then you've got to have long-range planning. You've got to plan for the, for the right things. You've got to see the bigger picture, and then you make short-term um, decisions. What if I'm short every month? Well, if you're short every month, you've got to increase income. You've got to sell your assets, or you've got to reduce expenses. You've got to do one of those. <laughs> Craigslist is a beautiful thing if you want to sell some stuff. There's so many opportunities for you to sell things these days. And listen, your closet's full of junk other people will love to pay for. It's shocking to me. But, but really, it can only be done once. The real answer is reducing expenses. The most powerful decision you can make is to limit yourself spiritually. Spiritually, there's, there's repercussions. The most powerful decision you make is reduce what you're spending and commit to live within your means. Now, I've sent you, every one of you, a budget sheet, super simple, just gives you a starting point. I sent it to you when I started the message. It's in your email box, okay? If, you don't, if you, we don't have your email, then, then you can write it down on a connection card, and I'll send you one. Um, at the bottom there, I, you can see there's some, there's some resources. I, I was looking up different places to look at budgets and online budgets, and there's a bunch of free tools you can get all over the Internet. Listen, we are never more, we've never been more prepared than we are at this moment to be the kind of people who are good stewards of, of what God's given us. There's so many tools, so many opportunities. And so I, I, I think, this, I think if, if we want to see Jesus meet people where they're at in our city, if we want to see a revival, if we want to see evangelism happen in a way that is, that is beyond what we can even ask or think, here's what I think. I think we have to surrender our lives totally, fully, completely, and we have to start with something as powerful as money. We have to get a hold of ourselves 
Because we are running, driving, pushing. We are going so many directions. We are trying to just make enough just to, just to exist, just to get the toy, just to get the, the, the thing that we want. When we live like that, we're going to miss what God's trying to do in our city with the people around us. Because we're too consumed. So I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads, and I'm just going to pray for you. Father, you see, uh, you see our lives. You know where we are. You know what's going on. You know where we've been. You know the decisions we've made up to this point. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us for running in a hundred different directions. Forgive us for not being good managers of what you've offered us. And now help us. Help us as we move forward. That, that to, to remember that you never run out of provision. That you're always there ready. Manna comes every day in the Old Testament. And in the same way, you have provision every day for us. Lord, now, Lord, teach us how to manage those provisions in a way that is honoring to you takes care of our kids, takes care of our significant uh, family members, our loved ones. Teach us how to be these kind of people, starting at home, living within our means, responsible for what you've given us, and then begin to lead us. <laughs> every opportunity that comes our way, every moment where we have a chance to speak into the life of another person, every, every moment we have to be generous, Lord, you'll, you'll bring us those but we want to start with being honorable to you. So teach us how to do that. We pray this. We offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.